You're listening to Supply Chain Radio. My name is Matt Gunn, joined today by Dr. Ted Stank, Executive Director of the University of Tennessee Supply Chain Forum and a member of the faculty here at the university. Hello, Ted. Hi, Matt. How are you? Doing well. It's great to have you on the show. We are here in Knoxville right now at the symposium that you put on twice a year. It features a blend of, what, about 200 executives and then students here at the school, along with faculty, sharing knowledge, networking, simply, you know, kind of bringing some energy to this thing called supply chain that we all do some way or another. Right. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about how you came into supply chain and sort of how you came into being at the university and, and working with students. I have a really interesting entree into supply chain. Like I think a lot of people of my generation, I didn't study supply chain as a student. In fact, I probably could not when I first got into this game have used the phrase supply chain management as what I was getting into. My entree to it really came from the demand and customer side. I was an officer in the United States Navy. My responsibility on a U.S. warship in the Persian Gulf was to run the air warfare capabilities of the ship. It was at a time in the 1980s when Iran and Iraq were at war with each other, and part of their warfare strategy was to blow up the oil tankers coming to each other's ports so as to cut off that economic flow. And around 1984, President Reagan flagged Kuwaiti oil tankers with the American flag and used the U.S. Navy to essentially ride shotgun on them in and out of the Persian Gulf to ensure they didn't get blown up so that we can ensure a flow of oil from the Gulf. I was on one of those ships riding shotgun, and one time we're in the Persian Gulf in the middle of a hot war that we were not engaged in, but we were technically armed neutrals. And there were ships being blown up every day. And our missile launcher broke. <laughs> and so we figured out what was wrong with it. We found out the part. And the part that we needed was in an island in the Indian Ocean. Not very far away, as the globe goes, but there was a reserve hold put on that part, and we were told we couldn't have it for six months. And here we are in the middle of a hot shooting war, and so we had to go through all kinds of crazy procedures to try to get that part freed up. And I think the germ of, hey, you know, we're only as good as our ability to get the resources and materials we need to accomplish our mission was born at that time. I was probably 24. Then I left the Navy a few years later and I went to work for a company called Abbott Labs and I was working in marketing and sales for the diagnostics division. And we built and sold big blood chemistry analyzers to hospital laboratories and the chemical reagents to run them. And the story was that in the early 1980s, Abbott was the first company to automate this kind of blood chemistry testing, and it revolutionized the industry. Abbott jumped to better than 90% market share in the industry. And eight years later, Ted gets out of the Navy and goes to work with them in marketing and sales. And by then, we were losing market share because other big companies had entered the industry. We did a real introspective marketing strategy exercise to figure out how we could reclaim market share. And we decided, we determined that Abbott had the most intensive distribution network to get these chemical reagents to hospitals of all the competitors. And Abbott ended up adopting a strategy that said, we'll split market share in the big cities, but the rural hospitals, we're going to get 98% market share because we can get the chemical reagents to them in such a way that no other company can get it to them. And by the way, it was called Abbott Diagnostics Division and they called this marketing strategy added value. 
And that's the mindset I was in when I left industry to get my PhD. And I went and met a faculty member who had just graduated from Michigan State University. And I told her my idea of what I was interested in. And she said, oh, you're talking about using supply chain strategy as a competitive weapon. And I said, Oh, okay. <laughs> and that's kind of where it started from. So it just crystallized from there. But that experience, I mean, that's not something that, that is a very typical journey in supply chain. You don't think about a risk management and disaster preparedness as missiles coming in to destroy your container right. ships, right? Yeah. And different beasts, but you're bringing to it this view of very real issues in the supply chain that people are going to see at some point or another, right? Exactly. And so I think tying back to that, first statement that you made, you didn't come into this industry by thinking you would ever be in supply chain. You might not have even known what supply chain is, but that's different now. You've got a whole program around that right now. And it, by various measures, it's the second or third ranked in the country. These students that come into it have an idea of what supply chain is and what they're going to do. Is that accurate? Some do. Uh -huh. Some do. Some have done their research and have determined that Tennessee has a great program in supply chain management, and that's what they want to major in. More, however, come to us after they've been exposed to what supply chain is. They think they're going to major in something else. And then they take a class that we have for all business majors. We have about six courses in all different areas of business that we feel that every business major needs to be exposed to, regardless of major. And supply chain is one of those. And a lot of people come into the business school probably because their parents have said, you need to major in something where you're going to get a job. And they've heard of marketing and they've heard of accounting and finance sounds like money, so that should be a good thing. They have no clue what supply chain is, most of them. And then they get here and they hear that we have this really good major with good starting salaries and really good placement rates and they start investigating it more. And we have a policy of putting our best teachers in this core class in supply chain because we end up converting a heck of a lot of people from other majors into supply chain majors once they understand what it's all about. So you're giving them a focus early on in their business training when they're just thinking very broadly, I'm going to do business somewhere or the other. We've literally had parents say to us at orientations, I've heard about this supply chain thing. I don't know if I want my kid to major in that. I don't want them going out driving forklifts in a warehouse or being a truck driver. Right. Like, we have to kind of explain to them Logistics, what, it really it what is. is that? Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> so uh, at this point, I mean, once you kind of get them hooked in, I mean, what are the first things that they learn? What's that moment? What kind of blows their mind about supply chain when you're a young kid? I think, and this goes back to my experiences with supply chain. We've built a program here, and it's not solely me, but we've got a group of people that have had similar experience that supply chain really begins with the customer. Procter & Gamble has this perspective that there are two aha moments in a customer experience. The second aha moment is when they get a Procter & Gamble product home and go, aha, I really love this, I want it more. But the first aha experience is they walk down a supermarket aisle and they see the product and they go, aha, I want that product. And the second aha never happens if the product's not on the shelf. And supply chain is responsible for getting it on the shelf. So we have a perspective that supply chain is absolutely essential to everything that happens in business because you can have the greatest marketing and promotion and product development, but if you don't have the operational processes to deliver on it and fulfill that demand, nothing happens. So we are very demand-driven with the start of it, and I think that strategic perspective on it really captures a lot of students whereas other programs are much more 
operations first. We're operations second. So they would lead off and say, okay, supply chain is all about managing inventory in a warehouse. And here's what you need to know about inventory management and warehouse management. Or it's about making product in manufacturing. For us, we want our students to understand what is the strategic reason and importance and financial contribution of the supply chain. And then we're going to teach you how to build a supply chain to create that kind of value. I think that's a really interesting and a dynamic approach. I mean, you don't want to get into the weeds of what procurement really is when you're a 19-year-old entering college and you got a 100,000-seat football stadium in your backyard. I mean, it's And two-thirds <laughs> of the student in this initial class aren't even supply chain majors. Mm-hmm. So we've developed the class for people who will probably never be exposed to formal education in supply chain again. What do you need to know about it? If you're a marketing major and 20 years from now you might be a chief marketing officer or a finance major and 20 years from now you might be a CFO, why do you care about supply chain? And it's not because you need to know how to store products in a warehouse. You don't care about that. But you want to know how does operating my supply chain better to optimize customer value in such a way that it provides great return on investment to the financials. That's what you want to know. So you're finding these interconnectivities that are going to speak to the terms that they kind of understand where at the end of the day, it isn't this very dry movement of goods from one place to another and finding it on a shelf. It's very dynamic. It's very fluid. And then the students who decide, I'm really turned on by this. I'd like to major in this and make this a career. Then we start giving them the depth in the individual operational areas. So as you start to do that, I mean, there's a lot of technology just today that didn't exist five or 10 or 25 years ago. What are some of the things that these students are coming into the workforce prepared to do that you might have never imagined was part of being a supply chain professional? The story of our curriculum has been continued expansion over the last 10 years from what was a traditional transportation and logistics major to a true integrated end-to-end supply chain major. So initially we added courses on procurement, procurement strategies, supply management, manufacturing and service operations. Three years ago we added a course on supply chain information technology that exposes them to a lot of the technological enablers of creating supply chain value and includes taking them into some pretty sophisticated laboratory spaces to use some tools that they're going to confront when they get out in the world today. So that was a big change that we've added. More recently, we've added a planning class, so kind of an integrated business planning class across demand, supply, financial planning. And the next step that we're going to add is a a very hands-on project management class. Obviously, not all students are going to be able to take that. It'll be an elective. The next major thing that I think it really bears mentioning is our statistics and operations research department, separate from the supply chain department, has created a business analytics major and probably the fastest growing major minor combination in the business school is supply chain major, business analytics minor. So you're getting into some of those fine details as they shape their curriculum, as they fine-tune what their degree is going to be. What does this mean for a company on the other end to hire these students and put them in the workforce? Are they that much more prepared by having that exposure? Well, our, our sponsors, our forum sponsors and partners continue to tell us the things that we need to know to change our 
learning objectives so that these students hit the workforce with the kinds of skill sets they need to succeed. And a couple of things that have changed in the last few years were, first of all, a broader sense of the integrated end-to-end knowledge set in supply chain. Second of all, some better skills in customer-facing scenarios so that you can sit down with a customer and understand what a customer needs from a supply chain standpoint and be able to interact in a customer basis so marketing and sales isn't afraid to take you along on a ride that you're going to say something bad. And then probably the most recent is this analytics toolkit that we really need to push supply chain managers to be able to have the capabilities to make fact-based decisions. And to make fact-based decisions, you need information transparency. You need the ability to take data and at least communicate to your IT group what kinds of information you need back from that data to make fact-based decisions. That's interesting. And so there's... um Another dynamic to this, too, and you hear it with some of the speakers that come from some of the major companies out here, but injecting purpose into everything that they do, bringing in this workforce culture that is responsive to the needs of the new workforce. What is it that, say, one of these companies hiring someone out of a school like this should understand about students that are involved in supply chain at an early age and and coming into this world and want to make a difference in some way? Yeah, that's a great question, and we hear that a lot from both our students and from our recruiters. And I think the best companies have understood that, no, you always hear a lot of people saying, oh, millennials want to go out and be vice presidents right away. I don't think that's necessarily true, and I think that our students are savvy enough to know they're not going to be vice presidents right away. But as they enter the workforce today, I think people are looking for an opportunity to see how what they're working on contributes to the greater whole and to see in a very clear fashion what they need to excel at and in what time frame so they can move to the next level. They want to have really clear career planning goals and career planning paths and understand how they can make an impact. And I think attached to the business that they're in. Right. You know, and I'm a baby boomer, right? And my perspective was, Go out and work, shut your mouth, keep your head down, work your butt off, and when the time is right, somebody will tap you on the shoulder and say, okay, it's time for you to go to the next job. And we might have griped about that, but we didn't have the perspective to say, hey, it's okay to ask your organization, why am I doing this? Where am I going? What's it getting for you and for me? We just kind of were like, oh, you can't ask those questions, you know? Right. I mean, it's a different world, you know, like, yeah, it's easy to get into that stigma of, oh, these kids, they're just so entitled. Right. They want everything right away. But finding that balance in between doing the work and really investing yourself in that company and getting the rewards on that other end, I think it seems to be where it's heading to. Frankly, I'm very excited to see the millennials grow into their managerial careers and see how the workforce will change. I think we need some potentially dramatic overhaul of the work-life integration. We used to call it work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And that suggested that there was a finite line between work and life. And as you know, there is not that line anymore. We're all constantly connected through electronics to our jobs. So the best companies now are calling it work-life integration. You're going to work from 7 o'clock at night until midnight sometimes, and you might do that at home. And if I expect that of you, then why aren't I also okay with you taking two hours off in the middle of the afternoon to go do whatever you need to do, right? Right. So let's get that integration across a 24-hour clock. Yeah. Our jobs, our lives, our expectations have changed so much, and I think that's something that we can all take away from 
the things that we see every day is that change is constant. You're not always going to understand what it means right now, but prepare yourself to embrace it and move forward all the time. As we look ahead to the future and as we kind of come to uh, the end of this podcast, what's one thing that you want a student to take away from your program? What's one thing that you want the companies that are getting involved with helping shape these students' education and futures to do more of? Okay. Uh, two great questions. Let's answer the first one then. What do I want my students to take away? If there was only one thing I could have a student take away is the fact that they need to be proactive critical thinkers and decision makers. Anyone who has been in a managerial job knows that it's absolutely gold. If you get somebody who says, I want to own this, you give me outcome metrics and I'll figure out how to do it. And I'd rather have you tell me, hey, you're doing something wrong and don't do it than have to tell me do this, 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 and this and get the job done. Nobody wants that. That's not fun. But finding those people is somewhat rare. And if I could figure out the magic bullet to help every one of our students become that person who owns something, tells their boss, hey, just give me outcome goals and I'm going to nail it for you. And you go do your job. That's what I'd like our students to be. It's not how you get there. It's what you accomplish at the end of the day. Well, I mean, we've all had also the challenges of having people that say, okay, here I am in work in the morning. Tell me what to do and I'll get it done. No, if that's the way you're going to be, I'll do it, and I'll take your pay, too. And you right. know, right. <laughs> a very uh, dynamic but, but place to be. But there's a lot of people like that, you know, that want that kind of... doesn't mean you don't need direction and guidance from your organization, but, you know. In terms of companies, I think I'm going to draw on that same theme that we need to partner with more companies to get experiential opportunities for our students. I would love to be able to say that an internship is required for every one of our graduates. Now, we have 330 graduates. So to say that's required would mean that I would have to be able to guarantee they could get an internship, right? right? And I can't do that. But I think that we need to partner with industry to be more creative in finding ways that our students can get experiences outside potentially the very formal internship structure. I think that's great. I think that's something that we can all embrace in the profession is finding those ways to get people more connected, more involved, because really, these are the people that are going to be running our businesses in the future. And I mentioned the projects course that we're going to be launching soon. That's one way to do it, right? My ideal is that we have a very seasoned business professional running that class with project management responsibility, and then potentially a graduate student like an MBA leading a team of three or four undergraduates to deliver a project for a company. I think that's a, a reasonable vision for something that you can get accomplished. And I think that you know, the challenge is just finding the right people to get in touch with. Right. All right, Ted, thank you very much for being on today. Thanks, Matt. It's been a pleasure. This has been Supply Chain Radio. Mm-hmm.